Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I'm coming to you this week not live and not from L.A. I'm on the East Coast this week. I came home to visit my mom. Our grand plan was to go to New York to see Blair Underwood's abs. If you watch Tamron Hall, she did a show recently with Blair Underwood about his abs on Broadway. I had no idea they were there. I knew he was in a play on Broadway. I did not know he was going upper naked during the play. So once I heard that, I was like, Mom, we should go see Blair Underwood's abs to celebrate your retirement. We were going to go, and then she pulled out because she was like, I'm not going to New York, coronavirus, like, we're all going to die, like, I'm not doing it. And I was like, okay, so not even for Blair Underwood's abs? And she was like, nope, I flew from the West Coast. Like, are you kidding me? And then someone pointed out, so you know, all these people are freaked out about the Rona, and they're canceling their Broadway tickets. We found tickets for Hamilton. For $250 a person. That may sound excessive to some. Please understand, these tickets have been sold out for years. And when they become available, they're usually around $1,500 a piece. So $250 for Hamilton, it's like the discount rate. Neiman Marcus Hamilton at Ross Prices. I I had to get them. I had to get them. So I go tell mom, I'm like, hey, so just so you know, there are these Hamilton tickets. And she was like, when? As of now, at like 5 p- at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, she is in to go to New York to see Blair Underwood's abs one night and to see Hamilton the next night. She has told me that upon arrival in New York, she is going into the hotel and she's only leaving to go to the Broadway show. She is not taking the train. She also will not ride Uber or a cab. She's avoiding as many people as possible. She will wear her mask and gloves at all times because as much as she would like to see Blair Underwood's abs and Hamilton, they are neither worth dying for. I, however, will probably do a little bit of roaming with my mask and gloves and soap, hand soap. I've been washing my hands all along. I will continue to wash them vigorously as I was raised properly. A proper home that believes in hand washing. I carried my good habits at home. I carried those habits abroad. So that's my world. I'm kind of nervous that I may get quarantined here. So I'm trying to figure out if I want to get quarantined on the East Coast or the West Coast. Or this isn't exactly far-fetched. Should I like go to Africa? Because all these other countries are, like, freaking out. They have all these cases of corona. And Africa has, like, 30 on the whole damn continent. There's also Jamaica. Jamaica has one case of coronavirus. The rest of the Caribbean is chilling. And I was like, oh, maybe I need to go to, like, Trinidad. If they'll let me in, seeing as how I'm coming from a contaminated place. Oh, dear. That's my life update. Or I could just stay in D.C. There are reasons that I like being here. Next topic. (laughs) Speaking of people leaving places, we talk about Meghan V. Markle and her final twirl through the UK. 
Megan's been in Canada since I want to say the day after she and Harry announced we done with this shit. Harry stayed to clean things up, but Megan left the next day and was like, I'm going back to my baby. Bye. So she and Harry returned recently for their final twirl as senior royals, their last batch of duties. Megan showed up and released the fabric on them. She had a trio of jewel toned dresses and each one more stunning than the previous. Like every time I thought I could catch my breath, she stole it once again. I mean, those gowns were everything. Started with the blue. The blue wasn't a gown. The blue was a cocktail dress. But that was showing off the the snatched post-baby body. Like, Archie was never there. Like, I was like, oh, I see you. There's this iconic photo. She and Harry in matching outfits. She has on this, like, turquoise. He has on a navy blue and a, and a complimenting tie. They're walking in the rain under an umbrella. The light is hitting from the top and the bottom just right. It's an iconic photo. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. The next night was this red satin gown. It was gorgeous. It looked okay from the front. It was a exaggerated cap sleeve. It was very beautiful. But from the back, it was like this cape of fabric. It was exhilarating. It was exciting. It was like it was like geometric. I don't know the words for these fashion things. I just know some beautiful shit when I see it because I feel the excitement inside. Like I was like, oh my God, this chick is out here dressed like a superhero. Somebody on my timeline pointed out and they were like, look at all the outfits together. I went and looked again and I was like, oh yeah, the red, the green, the blue. She's wearing Handmaid's Colors. I was like, that's a commentary. Hmm. The final gown was this this green gown with a side cape and, and a fascinator. One of those fashion sites that loves to compare all of Di's outfits. They went and found a match between a maternity outfit that Di had on that was the exact same emerald green with a fascinator and what Megan had on. And I was just like, yo, Megan and her team sat and thought long and hard about these looks. It was the fuck you of fashion. I don't usually get this giddy about fashion, but Megan and Harry looked amazing and coordinated. But with the green outfit, like to look at Harry, you'd be like, oh, okay, he just has on a suit. But the wind caught that suit jacket and flipped it back. The same green of Megan's dress, Harry had that little satin fabric inside. It was, it was very coordinated. Boomerang, remember the daddy and boomerang with the mushrooms? That's what Harry, Harry pulled that. Did he go get a black tailor when he got to Canada? I ain't seen too many white men do that. Like, black men will give you extra with their suit. Now, maybe white men been doing that for a while. This is the first time I've seen it, but I liked it. It was very, like, one band, one sound. One being the operative word here. But in the midst of this grand goodbye, MSNBC does a story on the Royals, and they go find some lady. I want to use some other language, but I'm trying to be... A decent human, unlike Victoria Mather. She is a Royals watcher. She is the chief travel correspondent for Air Mail. That's like British, the British version of the post office. And formal travel editor of Vanity Fair. She said what bothers many Brits about Meghan is they view her as, quote, five clicks up from trailer trash. And they don't like that she tried to disrespect the queen, who is the most respected woman in the world. I'm not sure which way and which point Meghan disrespected the queen. Choosing your sanity and your safety over some bullshit isn't disrespectful. 
people love to think choosing self means disrespecting someone else. And I'm like, no, my decision really ain't have shit to do with you. My self-preservation kicked in. That's not about you. Had you tried to help save me, maybe we wouldn't be here. But that's neither here nor there because here we are. As horrendous as that quote is, and as disrespectful as that quote is, I'm actually kind of glad the lady said it because a lot of folks, when Megan and Harry announced we out, were like, it couldn't have been that bad. I think we talked about that in a previous podcast with uh, Bobby and Cheryl. And Cheryl was like, I was in the church. I was on bended knee. Like, please, God, change my husband. I was at wit's end. I can't do this anymore. And I was like, oh, my God, Cheryl suffered. And people were like, oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. People don't think anything with black women is that bad till the woman's dead. And then they be like, why didn't she say something? Because y'all didn't care. So I'm glad that this woman said the horrific shit she said just so people could be like, oh, God, ooh. It's one thing to hear about it. I think it's another thing to hear it. Calling somebody five clicks up from trailer trash. I'm just like, really? And I'm trying to figure out, like, what, like, how do we get five clicks up from trailer trash? Perhaps I'm trying to make logic out of something that is just meant to be hateful. The two are rarely one and the same. But I'm like, Megan's mom has a graduate degree in social work. How do we get trailer trash from that? Megan has a degree from Northwestern. How are we getting trailer trash from that? No, she's not royal, but the vast majority of people are not. So does that make everyone trailer trash? And then Megan's father, yes, is a trash-ass human. That man runs to any tabloid that's paying to give them dirt on his daughter. Personal letters, old pictures, family tea, lies, anything. He, he will do anything for a dollar. If you wanted to call him trash, like, okay, trailer trash. I mean, that just has a certain connotation to it. We don't really refer to black folks as trailer trash in this country. The chick who said it was, was British. Maybe you're not quite understanding American culture. Like trailer trash is for like white folks. And not that we should be calling anybody names. And I'm just saying, like, when you refer to hood, you're usually talking about black people. When you talk about trailer trash, you're usually talking about white folks. Neither one is right. I'm just clarifying. If you go back and look at the critiques that people have of Megan, the British press, people in the comment section who hate her, it's over the stupidest shit. It's like she didn't wear pantyhose. Her bun was messy. Literally, a cover of one of the tabloids in the UK criticized Meghan Markle for cradling her baby bump. And they also called her child, was it a monkey, an ape, a gorilla? A respectable newscaster from a respectable station is the one that said that. They fired him. I was like, you're calling a newborn baby a gorilla or a monkey? Because he's like a fourth black? And the stuff they said about her since she was like, I'm out. Which is so crazy to me. I'm like... You told the woman she wasn't shit and she had no business here and she should leave. And then she was like, you know what? I don't have to take this. I'm leaving. And then they was mad that she wouldn't take it. People feel very, very, very entitled to treat you like shit and will be mad, mad when you're just like, you know what? I'm not taking this shit anymore. They stay accusing Megan of stealing Harry. That 35-year-old grown-ass man, if he ain't want to go, he wouldn't go. Men part from their families every single day. It's a horrible thing, but it happens. If that man ain't want to go, he wouldn't have gone. And if he wanted to keep the baby, he would have been like, well, you could go. You're not taking this royal baby out of the UK. That would have been a situation. It very well could have come to that if he ain't want to go, but he did. You know how I know? Because he went and looked happy as shit when he showed back up. Harry ain't looked that joyful in years. Neither had Megan. I'm like, oh, y'all needed to go. 
Y'all found y'all peace somewhere in Canada. Just and picture that. It's March. It's cold as fuck in Canada right now. They were like, you know what? We'll choose Canada over this shit. I lived in the UK for a while. It was like 20 years ago. And during the winter, no less. It don't really get that cold. I mean, it gets cold. It doesn't get New York cold. It don't get Canada cold. They'd rather go be in cold as fuck Canada than in a palace in the UK. They don't tell people nothing about how bad they were treated. They are actually staying at this billionaire's mansion. And to call it a mansion is kind of insulting. It's kind of like a compound. It's gorgeous. I've just seen the aerial views. Gorgeous. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. But it's still Canada in the winter. Megan did an event for International Women's Day. She showed up at a local high school. She invited anyone from the audience, a boy, who would like to come up and speak about women and equality. So a young lad, a Nigerian kid, about 15, 16 years old, bounds up to the stage, cutie pie, gets on the mic, and I knew he was going to say something crazy. I didn't know what it was. He just had that mischievous teenage energy. Don't mean no harm, but just just that, that boyish energy. He pauses for dramatic effect, and I just know something's coming out of his mouth. And he's like, she's beautiful, isn't it? The crowd erupts or whatever. Megan just smiles, and he like you know hits the side of the podium for emphasis. And after he gives his speech, which I've not seen the speech. I don't know what he said. If people stopped recording, but I never saw the speech. But after the speech... He gives Megan a gigantic hug and he looks exactly like you would expect a teenager who has a crush on the Duchess giving the Duchess a hug. It's like some random 15 year old getting a chance to hug Beyonce or Halle Berry, somebody we consider like, you know, just the most beautiful woman in the world. But this video makes the rounds of the UK and then the kid ends up on Good Morning Britain the next day. Piers Morgan is the host of the show and even Piers Morgan who's been like a horrible horrible critic of Megan even he had to get in on the good vibes and happiness and joy that Megan brought to this kid and that people are feeling watching this video about this kid going crazy over Megan I've been on board with Megxit from the beginning I mean to butcher a Nina Simone quote if love is not being served then get your ass up from the table but watching this kid and then there's a picture that's circulating of Megan and some students at the school. It's a big crowd of students and Megan's right in the middle and they're making the equality sign with their arms. And it's all black and brown kids, brown from any and everywhere, but all black and brown. Watching this kid on Good Morning Britain and then seeing that photo of Megan with the kids, it was like there's going to be a great loss with her absence. The white person standing in the middle of all these black and brown kids is a different image than a brown person who is royal, who is standing in the middle of all these kids. It's sort of like a, I represent you. I get you in a different way that these other people may not. And they respond to her differently. I don't think that little boy would have snatched up Kate like that. Actually, I don't think the little boy would have been that excited about Kate. There's something different about Megan. People could talk about how she came to the royal family and she added diversity and youth and fun and a different perspective. For the kids, for the people of color, she added a depth and a representation that obviously I'm not from the UK. I think just based on the response that I saw on her final twirl will be sorely missed when she's gone. I look forward to what's next for, for Harry and Meghan. I hope she has a lifestyle brand. 
I would love to see Meghan Markle pull off something like a Gwyneth in, in her goop. I would like that very much. We'll see. Speaking of bland, boring folks, the Democratic ticket is probably going to be Joe Biden. Primaries were yesterday, and it ain't looking so good for Bernie right now. And I was watching the news earlier. All the pundits were wondering when he was going to drop out. I am blue no matter what. I've said that since the beginning. I will vote in the general election. I will not vote for an independent blue no matter what. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed in the options. This isn't just disappointing because it's boiling down to Biden. I wasn't really thrilled with anyone, even when there was like 50 million people running. Like I was just like, who, what, huh? Oh, hmm. The only person who caught my eye, and again, not excited, but I was like, oh, you seem to have a solution for everything. Warren, Elizabeth Warren. Wasn't exciting. Also wasn't a fuck up, which has got to count for some things. Not full of gaffes. The Native American thing was strange and weird and odd and creepy. But all things considered, I guess, in comparison to everyone else. um, Okay. She had policy. She had solutions. She seemed to be a thinker. Unlike Trump, I wasn't afraid she was a raging idiot. But then she dropped out. After a disappointing Super Tuesday. So I was like, Biden. Mm, mm, mm. If this is who we're going to have as the Democratic nominee, I'm all aboard. I will do everything that I can to get people out to vote, get people registered to vote. So I will not drag Biden, but I'm just. mm. It's two old white men running again. Nothing about Biden is progressive. What Biden gets us is back to zero, which in a sense, not even in a sense, it's progress because we're we're in negative right now. Trump is a shit show. Biden is not a shit show. Biden is something else. Biden is a barrel of gas. It's sad progress, but progress nonetheless. I don't think Biden is a raging idiot. It's terrible when you have to define somebody like that. Is that the bar right now? Which it is. Okay. Hmm. Did you watch this Hillary documentary on Hulu? Nothing in the documentary is perhaps a great revelation. If you follow politics, like even on the margins, if you know anything about Hillary, what you're learning in the documentary is the behind the scenes, a few more of the details, Hillary's take on it that isn't for press sound bites. You know, a lot of people have said that she's not likable which is weird to me. Like people will comment if a man is likable, but it's not a mark against him if he's not. Men are expected to be efficient. If you are efficient and likable, awesome. But likable is not your core qualification, which it seems to be with women. Watching the Hillary doc, I found her very likable. And I kind of wished that more of that personality of her true personality, not her. I'm doing this for the press. I wish that we had got more of the real her when she was still campaigning for various offices. But watching the documentary, I understood why why she didn't give us that. She's not comfortable. And when she did give us that, she was burnt over and over and over. It's kind of a a no win, which is the overall theme, I think, of Hillary's documentary. 
to be fair, this documentary was not produced by Hillary. This is an outside house coming in to do the doc. I wasn't in a particularly emotional place when I watched. I cried like big fat tears a good five times over various things, but mostly the sexism. Here you have this woman and whether you like her or not for her policies or her disposition or whatever, but there's so much hatred aimed at her simply because she is a woman and it's frustrating and infuriating. I don't know how Hillary ain't got up on a microphone and just cursed everybody clean the fuck out. It starts when she's in high school and she's running for the student body president. Someone says to her very flatly, they're never going to elect a woman because that's a position for a man. A boy from her class wins. And the first thing he does is outsource his duties to her. And then she talks about how other girls in the class were afraid to be too smart because they didn't want to outshine boys. They wanted to be able to have boyfriends. They wanted to be considered marriageable. And I was like, are you serious? She gets to college. She doesn't talk that much about being undergrad. But she goes to law school at the LSAT, getting ready to take the test. This guy turns to her and was like, women shouldn't be in law school. You don't deserve to go to law school. If you get in and you take my rightful place as a man and I end up in Vietnam and I get killed, it's your fault. What? But she was like, yeah, that was just kind of like the rhetoric of the time. And at that time, you didn't argue back and forth with men. You just kind of like ignored them and put your head down and did your work. It's crazy. Eventually, obviously, she marries Bill and she goes to Arkansas. And eventually he becomes governor. And she just gets ripped apart. They're just like, so you're our first lady. Okay, so you have a full-time job as a lawyer. You work for a law firm, but your husband is the governor. Why are you still working? So they get on her about having a job. They get on her about being married, but not having any children. Chelsea wasn't born yet. A huge thing, she didn't change her last name. So he was Clinton, she was Rodham, and she stayed Rodham for like a really long time. And they were just confused. We, we don't we don't understand you. And they were like, and you're not from Arkansas. So he only lasted for a term. Like he ran for reelection and lost. It was widely discussed that it was because of Hillary. And so she was like, well, what, I, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. So he decides to run again. And her words and his words, and this is where I'm just like, oh, this was the appeal of Bill. He didn't ask her. She decided to change her name. She had Chelsea somewhere during his first term as governor. And she, you know, toned it down. She continued to work at the law firm, but she she toned down her her Hillaryness so that he could be reelected. She was real clear that Bill never asked her to be anything other than herself. Her intelligence did it for him. Like he liked that she was smart. He liked that she was ambitious. He loved that shit. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I think despite all his philandering, and there was much of it, people talk about Monica Lewinsky, but there's also the woman who was like, Bill and I were together for 12 years and I never said anything because I was in love with him. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, Bill Clinton was a whole hoe. But I think there was something to be said of having this partner who never asked her to play small that was appealing to her. It was very hard to come by from a man then. Hell, it's hard to come by from a man now. Hillary has like her own problematic moments, but in general, in comparison, 
to all the other people who've been in politics for many, many years, decades even, everybody has their own shit. Like Biden has his shit. Bernie has his shit. Kamala Harris had her shit. Warren has her shit. It seems that when women have shit, it just gets amplified and magnified and blown up into so many bigger proportions than what it actually is. And you see that over and over again in this documentary with Hillary and like Benghazi and her emails or even her husband's affairs. Hillary has paid a far greater price for them than he ever did. Hillary is this smart feminist woman and she stays with this man who repeatedly cheats on her. And that's like the root of Hillary is untrustworthy because she stayed with Bill despite all his open philandering. And for the rest of her career, she can never shake it. Standing by her man is what like eventually sinks Hillary. It's a journalist from NPR, maybe says it very flatly in the fourth part of the documentary. What eventually sinks Hillary that last little bit about the investigation of her emails 11 days before the election ties directly back into Bill's cheating. It's a very damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. Because I think once it was public knowledge that Bill cheated, there was nothing Hillary could have done that was going to be considered right. Because she stayed, and instead of being like, oh, loyal wife, respects her vows, like loves her family, stands by her husband— what she got was, it's an arrangement and she's there as a come up. If she left, it would have been, because I left and I can tell you what I got, was, you're a weak woman, you lack loyalty, you don't respect marriage or vows, you're not strong enough, you never deserve the title of wife, you only got married for the wedding, like crazy shit. When your husband does some like philandering shit, there's just no win. If you look at who paid the ultimate price for Bill Clinton's infidelity, we just talked about Hillary. Hillary and Monica Lewinsky. Monica Lewinsky has never been able to have a career. Her name is associated with a sex act. Everyone does. No one talks about. I think about five years ago, people were like, yeah, I do it and what? But until then, it was like, "Mm -hmm." everyone did it. No one talked about it. I did read that she's doing a show. I want to say an American crime story. Remember Ryan Murphy did the OJ Simpson thing. I think that was American crime story. Whatever series that was, he's doing one with Monica Lewinsky on her perspective of the Clinton years that led to his impeachment. Monica's involved. Monica's telling her side of the story. I'm all in. Monica Lewinsky and Clinton happened in the nineties We're just now recently at the point where Monica Lewinsky doesn't have to walk around with her head down in shame. The culture has finally tipped almost 25 years later where people don't hold her singularly responsible for what happened between her and a man who was more than twice her age. He was the leader of the free world. She was an intern. Like the power deferential doesn't really get any greater than that. But everyone held Monica Lewinsky responsible. Bill Clinton, he gets impeached, yeah. But he moves on. He continues to be president. He starts doing speeches. He starts investing in things. He makes a shit ton of money. He's a millionaire multiple times over at this point. He's an elder statesman, well-respected. His wife, she's well-known. There are women who love her. She's also just completely vilified. 
to credit in the documentary, Clinton does speak about Monica Lewinsky and he does express regret that her life has been defined by their interactions. There was a horrible, horrible quote from the documentary where he talks about his involvement with Monica Lewinsky. And he's specifically speaking of of her performing oral sex on him with something that he did to manage his anxiety for 10. And then he corrects himself and says, a while. But that woman's life was destroyed and his wife wasn't able to win the presidency largely because of his actions. And he reduces it to a way to manage his anxiety. And I was like, mofo, the whole country was on Prozac. You couldn't take some too? Manage my anxiety. That's the popular pull quote from the documentary that the press decided to run with. He does redeem himself. He goes further to say that what he did was, quote, an awful thing and, quote, the worst thing I could do. And he looks regretful. Bill Clinton's demeanor in this documentary is very Jay-Z post-Lemonade around the time he was promoting 444, as in like, I have become a different man. I have gone to therapy. You know how Jay-Z just be looking reborn? Like, this is a whole different person from like, I love bitches, mad bitches, all bitches, bitches in my riches. That's not Jay-Z anymore. Like, Bill Clinton has that that same, like, I am a new person demeanor. And I was like, oh, okay, is that how you got your wife not to leave you? Okay, I mean, if that's what it takes. If that's what it takes, you know. He also says that he's very, what did he say? Grateful. That is the quote. Quote and unquote, grateful that his wife did not leave him. And he acknowledges, quote, God knows the burdens paid for that. It's a good documentary. There's a lot more to it than than the things I've talked about. I've probably mentioned the more salacious parts of it. But it's a really good documentary about a woman that people love to hate, even if you don't particularly care for her as a politician. She's not running for anything anymore, which she says that's why she did the documentary. Harvey Weinstein was sentenced today for his conviction last month on the first-degree count of criminal sexual act in New York. Weinstein was given 20 years in prison plus five years of supervised release. On the other convicted charge, third-degree rape, he was given three years in prison. So that is Weinstein sentenced to 23 years in prison. He is currently being held on Rikers Island under suicide watch. Just for comparison's sake, Bill Cosby is serving three to 10 years for three counts of aggravated indecent assault. R. Kelly is in jail awaiting trial later this year. And Weinstein still faces four counts of sexual assault in L.A. County. I'm just sharing this for all of the what about Weinstein people. It is my sincere hope that upon hearing this news that I can speak freely about the black women and girls who are abused, assaulted, raped, any sort of violent interaction, any harm that comes to black women and girls by predatory or abusive black men, that I can maybe do so without people asking, what about Weinstein? And I know that is wishful thinking because I know that the people who asked what about Weinstein never really gave a fuck about Weinstein. 
What about Weinstein with a convenient deflection? Because you didn't want to talk about black men, black boys, and the rape and violence upon black girls and black women. Nobody likes to have that conversation. And it's an ugly conversation. It's an uncomfortable conversation. I totally get why. All the reasons for it being uncomfortable. All the reasons that people don't want to discuss it. I get why. But I'd like to point out that if you can't even have a conversation about it, then nothing's ever going to happen to stop it. This whole let's not talk about it, this whole let's pretend it doesn't exist, this whole we'll blame the women and the girls, we'll tell them all the ways not to get themselves raped, not to get themselves beat, it's not effective. The problem is not the people who get beaten, the problem is not the people who get raped, the problem is the people who beat and the people who rape. So it is my hope, naively, that now that we've got this what about Weinstein thing off the table, now that you can stop focusing on the unfair treatment of black predators versus white predators, which you want to talk about unfair treatment in the legal system, talking about the predators really ain't the place to start. One of my favorite, favorite people in the world, she just sent me a picture of her visiting a local jail. She's posed up with maybe like 15, 20 guys who've been locked up, usually from when they were teenagers. And the specific group she speaks to is men who've been locked up for more than 25 years. And so she sent me this picture from the jail. These guys, they've each been locked up for 25 years to look at the picture. I'll ask her if I can share it. To look at the picture, don't none of them really look over 30. She says they're 40. I'm like, you're 40 and you've been locked up for 25 years already with more time to go. That's crazy. If you were genuinely interested in in the mistreatment of, of black men and white men in the criminal justice system, that something like juveniles being tried as adults and getting 25 years in jail at 15 years old, that's something to me that is worth a big fuss in the criminal justice system. And if you were really concerned with what about Weinsteinism, then you should really have been on the pages of white folks who talk about Weinstein. You should be over there reminding them, like people like Oscar so white. They weren't just saying that to other black people. They were saying it to white people so white people could know we're tired of being eliminated and overlooked and erased from shit when we contribute. Give us our rightful due. That wasn't what people were doing with What About Weinstein. You were showing up on the pages of people who were talking about black predatory behavior, trying to deflect and distract. If you really, really cared, you would have been in white spaces. And your hashtag wouldn't have been What About Weinstein because you actually would have been informed about Weinstein. You would have known that every major publication in the country was running a Weinstein story every day that that trial was happening. And I love the shade room. I be in the shade room like everybody else seeing what they're talking about. But if you only get your news from the shade room, you are not being fully informed about all the news. The shade room caters very well to their audience, but they do not cover everything. If you want to be a well-informed person, you need to read the shade room. But your ass also need to be on CNN and MSNBC. And also, I hate to say it, but Fox, because you need to know what the opposition is thinking. If you want to make a sound argument. I'm glad justice, as well as it can be in the legal system, was served in this case. The women that he harmed will never be unharmed by what he did. I'm glad that he was sentenced. I'm glad that he got more than a slap on the wrist. Because what he did was some heinous, terrible, evil, hurtful, gross 
shit. Have you been keeping up with this honeypot story? Black business owner, Patrice Dixon, she has a company called The Honeypot, and she started in 2012. I was not familiar with The Honeypot before this controversy happened. If you are also not aware, The Honeypot is a feminine care system that cleanses, protects, and balances your vagina. From Dixon's website, quote, I started The Honeypot Co. because I was suffering from bacterial vaginosis. One night, an ancestor visited me in a dream and gifted me with a vision to heal myself. So Dixon's Honeypot products are sold in Target. And recently, she was featured in a Target commercial about her products. In the commercial, she says, and I'm paraphrasing, I hope that the success of my business can pave the way for for young black girls. I saw the commercial. I saw nothing wrong with it. And I was like, oh, okay, black woman business wants to inspire young black girls. Like, oh, good for sis. Apparently, some women from the Karen contingent saw the commercial and believed that Dixon is racist because she wants to empower or inspire. I can't remember the exact wording, but one of the two. But because her focus is on young black girls and they didn't understand why she had to put black in there. Why couldn't she just inspire all girls? Like why black girls? Members of the Karen contingent begin leaving poor reviews of the honeypot online. Black women hear about the Karen contingent and these negative reviews and are like, oh, hell no. There's an MSNBC story about this backlash or the backlash to the backlash, but it doesn't really say whether it was an organized thing or if black women just heard about it and was like, well, let me go see what this honeypot is about. Like, I don't know. But in the New York City area, targets are sold out of honeypot products because black women went and bought them either out of curiosity and solidarity, whatever happened, Dixon's sales are through the roof as a result of this Karen backlash to her very cute commercial. So I hear about all of this and I'm just like, oh, okay, well, you know, good for sis. So I'm scrolling through Facebook and a friend of a friend saw the honeypot controversy and was like, I want to try some honeypot. So she went and she doesn't say what product that she got. She just says she got a bottle. And this is what her review said. Can I say her name? It's viral on Facebook. So Olivia Jalise. Olivia Jalise, I just want you to know I'm going out to buy some honeypot because this review, I was like, all this is happening? I was like, sis should have put this on the website because I was like, she's like, oh, an ancestor came to me and I was like, oh, okay, that's cute. And this, this is how you sell some product. So sis Olivia Jalise says, I'm pretty sure this shit is cooter crack. This renewed the warranty on my pussy. It's not even a pussy anymore. I now have pussy. <laughs> this soap knocked a few bodies off my coochie report. If we had sex before 2016, sorry, player. I know it works because it smells like Clorox. Pretty sure it grew my cherry back. Does it work on edges? This woman is a fool. This is my type of people. Where have you been all my life, Olivia Jalise? As soon as I'm done with this podcast, if you think I'm not about to go to the local Target and be like, excuse me, do you have any honey products? Do you do you have the soap? All the soap. I'll take all the soap you have. Thank you. <laughs> One of each. <sighs> Between this wax and a honey pot? Girl.
Mm, we have one last thing to talk about. I was going to talk about Meg the Stallion's grades, but I'm so sick of these mofos. Meg the Stallion has a 2.7 GPA, and folks are giving her the business. They're like, oh, 2.7? And I'm like, yeah, 2.7. Like, it's a B minus. What are we talking about? What's the problem? Now, me personally, me and mine and myself in my home in the Lucas household, I could not arrive in the house with a 2.7. I also was not an international recording artist with a flourishing career. Let me be 110% with you. If I was Meg the Stallion, and I'm not saying this is what Meg should do. I'm saying if I were Meg the Stallion, and while in college, I managed to land myself a recording contract and was touring all over the country and getting paid on Instagram, I said 50000 a show. My friend who works in bookings was like, try 100 sis. Okay, that's even better. If I, me, myself, and I was getting paid 100 Gs a show at 25 years old, my ass would have been dropped out. And in no way am I saying that's what Megan should do. She is continuing to go to college despite her successful career. And I think that's amazing. And I love the message that it sends to her young female audience. The education is important. I respect the hell out of her for staying in school despite all that she's got going on. I don't know how people fix their face to criticize the woman. Because me and mine, I couldn't walk in this house with less than a 3.7. I came home for three, six, and it was unacceptable. Like, it was like, what, what, what is this? First semester of college, my grades came back, and I want to say that was a three, eight. But I had four A's and one B, and my mother looked at my grades and was like, where's the other A at? But also, keep in mind, I didn't have a recording contract. I didn't have a job. My parents forbade me for getting a job. They were like, your one job is to get good grades. Anyway, I commend her. 2.7 isn't the best. 2.7 is not the worst. The secret that people don't like to tell students, once you graduate, if you're not trying to go to grad school, no one really gives a shit about your GPA. My very first job and the worst paying job I ever had was the only job that ever asked me for my GPA or my transcripts. Everywhere else was just like, let me see your resume. Let me see your experience. Working at Essence, they called me out the blue one day and was like, hey, I know you write for us, but we got this great recommendation. Everybody in the office reads your blog. Do you want to be the relationship editor? I did a writing sample. I quit Essence in 2011. I've had jobs that paid me my annual salary for working two days since then. No one's ever asked me for a resume. No one's ever asked me for my GPA. Nobody's ever asked me for my transcript. In casual conversations, somebody will ask, like, oh, yeah, where'd you go to school? And so I'll tell them. But if nobody asked me, like, as a, ma as a matter of credentials, nobody asked me, it's like, oh, what school did you go to? Like, nobody calls to verify. Like, I'm sure there are industries that may do that. I don't think Meg Thee Stallion is going into one of them. I think she's good for the moment. But people were like, oh, she should just drop out. Why? She's got a B minus average. It's not popular to say because it'll make some people who work really hard, you know, feel like bad. A 2.7 GPA and a 4.0 GPA. Their degrees are printed on the same paper. So I applaud Megan for staying in school. And if there are other people who are listening and you're in school and it's hard and you're trying to figure it out, don't drop out. Do what you need to do to just graduate. Especially if you got into like junior year, you got over the hump. Keep going. Just graduate.
damn it, I did end up talking about Megan. What I really wanted to talk about is this little girl, Ariana. If you're not familiar, there is a viral video circulating of a young black girl getting her locks retwisted. And she looks in the camera and she says, I'm so ugly. And she's getting her hair done by a hairdresser. She says, no, you're supposed to look at yourself and say, you're so pretty. She grabs her little face and she looks at her and she says, look at your dimples. Look at your face. You're so pretty. You're so pretty. And the little girl dissolves into tears and the hairdresser ends up hugging her. And I mean, it turns into a feel good moment on the back end with the hugging and such. The video has gone viral. Tons of celebs have weighed in. Michelle Obama put a note out last night on Instagram telling the little girl that she's beautiful. Viola Davis was like, hey, I got some of your features, sis. We beautiful. Lots of love. Lots of outpouring of love. Matthew Cherry, who just did the um, the hair, this a little hair cartoon. I don't, I don't know the name of the cartoon. I watched it like a million times. Matthew Cherry. He reached out to the artist community and he was like, hey, artist people, we make art all day. Can we make some beautiful art celebrating this young queen? Show her her beauty, which is a very beautiful gesture. Everybody weighed in, you know, like reinforcing the beauty of this little girl. Um, I ain't like that video, y'all. I like the sentiment of the video. I don't think anything was wrong with what was depicted. I think the hairdresser did a beautiful thing, pouring into the little girl, reaffirming her beauty to her. That was beautiful. That was necessary. And I want to be mindful. Like, I think she did a good thing. I think her heart, if she's the one who shared it, or if it was live, I don't know. Like, I think the, the heart was in the right place of sharing the video. It just don't sit right with me. The little girl clearly has negative feelings about herself. I think it's one thing for an adult to make a video about how they feel or how they used to feel and put that out into the world. Four-year-old doesn't have agency over herself in that way. I just don't like the image of this little brown girl looking in the camera and saying, I'm so ugly. I know that's that's genuinely how she felt. And, and I know that there are many brown girls or brown women now who are once brown girls who may have felt that way. There's also tons of brown girls who are just like, no, I was affirmed and loved. And, you know, other people might have said crazy shit to me, but I knew them mofos were crazy because I knew I was gorgeous. Like there's that story, too, that I think doesn't get told very often. But I just don't like the the image of it all. I think if it was a if it was a grown up doing it, it would be very different. But there's just something about like this is what this child is going to be known for is looking in the camera and thinking she's ugly. And I just don't like that a kid who doesn't have any agency over herself is now that's what she's known as is a little girl who thought she was ugly. I know that's not a popular thing to say. I didn't like the optics of, and again, this is not in the doing it's in the sharing of it. I didn't like the optics of this little Brown girl is being affirmed and reassured by a light-skinned woman just got a light-skinned savior sort of thing and, and I can totally totally accept that if you're like D you doing the most on this one I could be I'm just telling you honestly like I look at the video and I cringe and so in a sense like I'm glad that it was shared so that people could be aware but I'm like the people who really care probably already were aware I feel like the people who saw that video and realized like, oh, my God, this is awful. This is terrible. They're the type of people who already read The Bluest Eye. 
Like they were aware that this type of thing exists. It wasn't like, oh, I've never seen this before. How did this happen? Oh my God, this thing is new. No, no, it's not. I watched the video and I thought, oh my God, who is telling this child that she's ugly? Like, you know, is this, is this a playground thing? Is this a, is this a parent thing? The hairdresser came back later and was like, no, she comes from a loving family. She has a great mother. Like, don't blame the mom. And I was like, who is telling this child that she's ugly? Like, this is terrible. Like this culprit must be found and, and drawn out. And drawn and quartered. And then I was thinking more about it. And I was like, it could be no one telling the child that she's ugly. And she could come from like the right type of family who, you know, you tell your child, you reinforce their their beauty and their intelligence to them, their goodness to them. Like she could come from a family that does exactly that. And then the child goes out into the world and looks around and was like, why, why, why is it that people who look like me, why are they not celebrated and why are they not affirmed? I think about... Stay with me here. I'm going somewhere. I think about like the first time I went to Ghana, one of the things that stood out to me was the black people on billboards. It was nothing special. It wasn't like some insanely great photography or or layout or or ad messaging. It wasn't that. It was just simply that the people on the billboards looked like the people in the population. Gunyans come in all sorts of colors and complexions, but by and large, just walking around very chocolate people. All the people on the billboards are a chocolate people. When you see a family of four, mom, dad, two kids, the mom is still chocolate and the daughter is still chocolate. And it stood out to me because when you look at billboards in America, if you get a chocolate guy, the wife is always light skinned black, if not completely racially ambiguous. And then the kids, especially the daughter, always racially ambiguous. I totally understand how like this little brown girl could look around and see maybe a reflection or two here or there, but not enough reflections of herself where she could conclude that like, I don't matter. I'm not important. I get it. As grown black women, we talk about representation all the time. We talk about the importance of Queen Slim, for instance, right? A really big deal is made about how the heroine was a dark-skinned woman. They were like, you never see dark-skinned women as the love interest. Look at this dark-skinned woman as the love interest. Like, she's beautiful. She should be celebrated. Queen is her name. It was a big thing for that to happen. I say that to say that, like, as grown Black women, we're like, yes, we need to see more images of women who look like different kinds of women. So people be like, oh, my God, like, how did this little girl, like, what happened to her? Who said that to her? And it's like, maybe no one said it to her. Maybe she just looked around and was like, why don't nobody look like me? So yes, people should pour into her. People should pour into this child. Not just you are beautiful because women are more than their looks, but you are smart. You is good. You is kind. You is all great things. Like pour into children. Like they need the affirmation. Might want to pour into some adults too. She probably shouldn't be drawn into this conversation. I'm going to mention her anyway. If somebody had told little Kim that her brown was beautiful and if she saw more representations of brown is beautiful, Little Kim might still look like Little Kim. I love Little Kim. But Little Kim don't look like Little Kim. She look like somebody else, and I'm not sure who that is. But black girls and black women could use some more affirmation. And black girls and black women could use some more representation. That's important. So you don't end up with little brown girls, heartbroken, videos of them circulating around the internet. They don't have consent to give, so... 
I guess her mom's okay with it. I don't have any ill feelings or ill thought about the mother or the hairdresser and certainly not the child. I just don't like the imagery of what I'm seeing. And I know I'm a catch hell for this part of the podcast. I'm okay with that. I catch hell every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, those are my thoughts. I thank you for listening to them. I'm glad we've had the opportunity to commune and share. This is three weeks for the podcast in a row. I'm on a whole run for March. Let's see if we can make it. Especially since I carried my equipment with me to the East Coast. That's got to count for something. Yes. Mm, I have an update. So I began taping this podcast somewhere around 530. Went to run errands, went to the gym, came back, continued editing the podcast. It's now 1.38 a.m. the following day. In the time that I've been taping, the NBA has suspended all games Trump has shut down all flights coming from Europe, with the exception of the UK, starting on Friday. Tom and Rita Hanks have announced that they've contracted the coronavirus. My mother announced that we are no longer going to New York. We will not be seeing Blair Underwood's abs, and we will not be seeing Hamilton for cheap. I am disappointed. I also am like WTF. I don't even understand what's going on right now. I'm debating whether I should stay here on the East Coast or if I should go back home to Cali. I don't know if flights are going to be shut down. Like, I don't know what's going on. So, yeah, all the jokes, the lightheartedness about coronavirus, the Rona, completely changing our way of life indefinitely. This is a shit show for real. Everyone listening, please be safe. Use your common sense. Wash your hands. Good luck out there. Okay. That's all for today. We'll be back next week. If in the meantime, you need a little ratchet and respectable in your life, you are welcome to follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Those are your best bets. At Demetria L. Lucas. At Demetria L. Lucas. You can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you're the first to get it. So that's that. And we'll talk again soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.